Hi everyone, I'm Carol Wang. Welcome to a special season of Health 101. We're focusing these episodes on what the COVID-19 pandemic has wrought to our health emotionally, physically, and mentally. And while we're addressing the effects this has had on physicians and their healthcare colleagues, we know these themes are universal. So if you recognize yourself or someone you love in our conversations, we urge you to seek help for yourself or for them. I'll have more resources at the end of the show. And a quick note of gratitude to the Copic Foundation for making this version of Health 101 possible. Hi, everyone. When we think of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, we often think about veterans coming home from war, the image in our minds, um, and the nightmares, the flashbacks, those kinds of symptoms as being the root of PTSD. But I think that is one facet of it. And I think post-COVID or current COVID, um, depending on where we are in, in people's minds, there's a reality to PTSD that is coming to fruition for a lot of people. And so, Dr. Marin Brochek is here. She's a psychiatrist, and she is going to help us talk about how to think about it and frame PTSD in a modern context, not just of war, but of in our lives, what we're thinking about. And Marin, here's my first thought, is when I think of it, you know, I think about it as a long-lasting condition that has to be withstood. Um, and then when I read about people showing symptoms of PTSD from the year that has been of isolation or the ch- of children who have suffered from, you know, not having a lot of stimulation and, and learning and the difficulties and just the different adaptations people have had to make in their lives because of, co- of COVID-19. I hear PTSD talked about all the time. Is it episodic? Is it one big, long thing? Is it triggered by, you know, how do I, how should I be thinking about this? In short, yes. <laughs> um, all of the above. P- post-traumatic stress disorder is a cluster of symptoms where someone can experience uh, the flashbacks or nightmares or thoughts and memories popping into their head that distract them from what they're trying to do on a day-to-day basis. That's one part of it. There's three other parts. Um, second part is what we call hypervigilance. So the feeling keyed up, anger, always on guard, that fight-or-flight response that never goes away, uh, that kind of just not feeling safe. That uh, is part number two. Three, um, which often can cause more problems in day-to-day functioning, is the the avoidance part of things. So um, a classic example with veterans is 4th of July, them hiding in their basements because the sound of the fireworks triggers thoughts of combat. Um, avoiding areas of town situations that might trigger thoughts about the trauma, um, being afraid to go out in public because of uh, afraid that that's going to worsen that hypervigilance. And in uh, a more recent um, updating of 
for post-traumatic stress disorder, they did finally acknowledge that it causes a lot of mood problems. So a lot of depression, um, anger, irritability that goes along with PTSD because it causes disruption in your life. It, it makes life harder. So then, because in some ways when you talk about those clusters and those types of versions of PTSD, some seem action-reaction mm-hmm. of how you react to a situation yes. versus um, an involuntary mm-hmm. response. Somewhat. Um the avoidance behavior might not be entirely, you might not be entirely aware of your behaviors that you're, you know, won't go out in public or that you're actively avoiding things that might you know, trigger those thoughts. Um, but the, yes, the, it might be also involuntary to you know, something triggers a memory or, or a feeling and kind of flying into anger as kind of a way to protect yourself. So it's it a lot of layers to it. And it also sounds like a lot of severity levels because mm-hmm. some of that seems fairly functional, that you can have some level of PTSD and still resemble a normal life. You just may not use the highways or freeways because you had something horrible happen, and so you tend to yeah. take city streets, for instance, if you had a bad accident or mm-hmm. was involved mm-hmm. in something, and that's where your trauma is based. Um, versus right. when I think of PTSD, and maybe I always think of the extreme version where it's debilitating. Sure, the, the movie version yes. is where you're <laughs> hiding in the basement. Right. Um, but everyone is different in how they deal with their own symptoms, the coping skills that they use to function on a day-to-day basis. So the trauma doesn't have to be big it, to be trauma? Generally, it's going to be something that is big for you. Um, you know, uh, say someone who um, experienced a miscarriage, maybe the way that that situation kind of happened, evolved, might be extremely traumatic. So things like restaurants you went to before you know, the, the miscarriage happened, the um, doctor's offices, those can all be kind of things that trigger those intrusive thoughts, the, the re-experiencing symptoms. You know, some might not see that as that big of a deal, but it's, it's entirely how much it affects you personally. In some ways, if it's at all reassuring to people, it feels like I jokingly say to people that we are probably all walking wounded on some levels because mm-hmm. we are a compilation of experiences, some good, some bad, some ugly. And, and, and so there's always – so the good news is that it's not a defining um, right. life sentence, so to speak. And how I look at any mental health diagnosis is – to have a diagnosis, that means that it's causing you day-to-day problems in your, your functioning, your being able to do what you want to do in life. To what extent that is kind of depends on the person. So what happens if you do think you have a version of it or someone you love has a version of it that is starting to interfere with their quality of life, with their ability to 
cope. First thing is recognizing it, um, that, and not being afraid to seek out help. There are treatments available. Um, it's it's something that can be managed. And it's not like exposure therapy. You know, it's not like if you're afraid of dogs because a dog bit you as a child that coming and seeing dogs is that kind of? One of the treatments is maybe a little bit similar to that. Um, it entirely depends on the approach. The therapy can be a type of uh, can uh, one tactic can be more of the exposure of you know, those thoughts and memories and and being able to kind of process those um, memories and emotions that go along with the PTSD. Other strategies might be just dealing with the straight up functioning and symptoms, like you have trouble being in crowds, regardless of the reason why, but addressing just that speci- the the way the PTSD manifests. And then medications also can help too. So now let's take the, what we've learned, what we've talked about so far, and then now put it into the context of COVID and how you're seeing that manifest for people both in the not so severe to the you probably should seek help <laughs> spectrum. Mm. Um, people can experience the those kind of defining uh, four clusters of symptoms, but also sometimes symptoms can even manifest as physical complaints like fatigue, headaches, chronic pain, um, things like that, I mean, relationship problems. How do you almost differentiate that from depression? Because in some ways it they sound similar post, you know, something terrible. And that is why when they reworked and updated the PTSD diagnosis, depression, mood symptoms are worked in. So yes, depression 100% can be part of PTSD. So it's just kind of sitting as an interrelated... Yes. Um, having a prior mental health diagnosis can make you... Uh, maybe a little more susceptible to uh, developing PTSD, but PTSD itself can uh, manifest as uh, those same mood symptoms or similar mood symptoms. Do you worry most about children? Because, or, you know, I always think of children as being far more resilient than adults in a lot of ways, um, with how they, how the world and how they perceive the world and adjust to what happens. But when you think about the pandemic and its effect, and, and I know that we've talked a lot about mental health on children being so substantial compared to even more than uh, of a crisis than for adults. When you look at PTSD, are you more concerned about it for our younger people or for our older people even? Uh, or does it matter? Suffering is suffering. Yeah. Uh, childhood adversity can be a risk factor for later on developing post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so maybe a, addressing trauma that's experienced in childhood can have maybe longer lasting or more 
down the road effects, but if you're experiencing PTSD symptoms as an adult, if you're feeling miserable, you're feeling miserable. Yeah. When do they need to seek help? And when do they let it absorb and... Um, well, in mental health, we are always concerned, number one, with safety. So if someone is experiencing suicidal thoughts or um, lashing out at others, um, the anger is, you know, turning into violence, you know, that that's a number, a top-tier concern. But again, it, it's to what extent is it causing disruption in your life? I feel like a lot of healthcare workers who are on the front lines, who saw, who have dealt with those horrible scenes that we've seen of people not, you know, dying. Um, I can't imagine that they don't have some level of PTSD. And and we know, let's all face it, doctors in high stress positions are not always calm. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> it, takes a per, it takes a certain personality style <laughs> to do that kind of job. And so if you already have a physician who is a stressed out personality and they already do yell a little bit and they already do, you know, have a little bit of a tantrum, how do you know that they've gone to that next level? Is there a way to even know without them acknowledging it for themselves, what they feel? That's part of it. Um, If it's a change in how they used to be, that is a clear sign. This person, okay, they yelled every once in a while, you know, through a pen now and again. But if it's getting to the point where it's, there's, you know, they're they're really causing disruption at work, that's, they're definitely not doing well in that situation. Is it medication that we think about for PTSD? I don't, I mean, I think of long-term therapy as a lot of PTSD, but I'm not sure what works these days and how people approach it. Probably a place to start would be therapy. There are very few side effects and often has very long-lasting results. Um, but if things are bad enough, medications sure have their place. Are you seeing it? You work with a, a population that's, you know, sometimes underserved, underpopu- you know, um, ignored in population. And um, I think easily two-thirds of all my patients have some sort of PTSD. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's the bread and butter and an underpinning of a lot of the work you do. Yes. Um, and childhood adversity... Sure shapes your personality, so that can manifest as personality disorders or um, someone later on develops uh, substance use issues kind of as their way to cope with those symptoms that were never recognized or treated or acknowledged. So we see lots of that. As with all mental health, it is so interrelated. Substance misuse, drug, alcohol. Personality. Depression. I feel like it all sits and they all line up for people who, they're almost building blocks and sideways building blocks of. Yeah, it's it's probably not as neat as building blocks. It's like uh, like the Christmas vacation um, 
Christmas lights <laughs> sometimes, but that's the fun of mental health. Yeah. How, when, when you see two-thirds of people who have some underlying PTSD, what is a prognosis? Is it you can most do with the right mode of therapies, do fine, or is it some people always have this lingering need, almost need avoidance t- to a triggering factor? It really comes down to, to what extent does someone want to change how they uh, think, feel, and act in order to uh, address those issues. If you really don't want to deal with it and just kind of want to keep doing what you're doing, nothing's going to change. But if you do want to actually put in the work and recognize and, and, and deal with the issues, things sure can get better. They might not 100% go away, but your functional status sure can improve. It would be really hard to be haunted by that all the time. Yes. Because it feels like it would be something that just follows you and it's ever-present if you don't at least try. It, it can, PTSD can be a very disabling condition. How many people in your kind of algorithm walk away functional, want to do the work, and is the work, I mean, nothing is a silver bullet, a pill, hi, everything's fantastic. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, I mean, I think that's what we've all kind of programmed ourselves for. Do we, you know, do we, is it typically months, years, is it? Short-term, long-term, is it when you think about these things and these cases? Depends on how long they've been dealing with these issues, what other issues they've, that have developed along with the PTSD, like the substance use, that sure makes things much more complicated. Um, and even, you know, when did the trauma happen? What kind of trauma happened? It's, there's a lot of variables involved. How do we help those who are suffering or who are trying to work their way through this do we how do we accommodate how do we how do we sensitive to it how you know how to how do the rest of us approach well mental health still has a horrendous stigma um and even in medicine there's a horrendous stigma about mental health um it's just getting used to talking about it do you wish people would do you wish that people felt okay to say this is my issue or these are my and and be that open because i feel like it's there's shame obviously there's embarrassment in some Mm -hmm. cases and there's a how are you going to judge me, or how do I feel about being that vulnerable? Right, and the, the stigma can kind of be associated with the thought that if you have a mental health problem, that you're somehow you know weak, defective, uh, there's something wrong with you and your judgment. Um, and healthcare workers, I mean, look at your license application questions or questions for 
malpractice insurance, they love to lump, uh, do you have any mental health problems, sex addiction, or drug problems? I mean, that's that's kind of a loaded question right there, and that's very unfair, and you know, that's one of the things that continues to perpetuate that stigma. Right, because nobody wants to say... Yes to that. Mm-hmm. Right, because all of a sudden, every question under the sun now... And then you have to write an essay about you know, how you have symptoms and what you're doing to treat them and... Um, I've read horror stories of, well, then you have to have letters from your psychiatrist or someone is uh, required to do some sort of extensive treatment for something that maybe is a non-issue. So. Yeah, it is a burden and it is a obstacle to being honest. Yes. And that sure gets in the way of uh, someone who has these symptoms being reluctant to get any kind of treatment. Because then you have to check yes, potentially. Yep. Well, and I, I would say, someone once said, if everybody had to go to therapy at some point, just as a, you know, hi, you're about to graduate for high school, go to therapy, or something mm-hmm. as a standard, then there wouldn't be this, oh, you've had therapy it would just be a natural right course of action and we when we talk with you know vent and talk with friends family you know, loved ones is that not a type of therapy um you know hanging out with your dog is that not a type of therapy i mean it's just putting a label on something for someone who has some PTSD, how important are relationships when they're dealing with this? How important is support system? How important is kind of the underpinnings of a life that sometimes are either overlooked or underestimated? Not at all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you can just be alone. Yeah. It'll be fine. It sure <laughs> makes dealing with it easier, but if you don't have the luxury of those things, help is available. But it helps you to know that there is safety nets if you need help, getting help, and hand hands to hold while you're doing it. Ideally. Ideally. <laughs> Can we talk about prevention? Is there prevention for something like this? That's a very weird question, I realize, because it always feels like the whole disorder is what happens after. Yeah, how do you prevent bad things from happening? That'd be nice to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, risk factors for developing PTSD, uh, childhood trauma in um, in healthcare workers. It's being those frontline workers. Um, the uh, specifically with COVID, uh, some studies have found that um, you know being that fear and having to be in quarantine and away from your family and support system because you're afraid of infecting them, uh, not having a, a adequate um, PPE. Um, you know, it, it's all about just kind of trying to be prepared. Um, and if PTSD does kind of creep in, work its way in there, um, just being open to addressing it because natural disasters can cause PTSD. Um, health problems can cause PTSD. 
other people can traumatize you um, and cause PTSD. So it's, it's, I don't know that there's a decent way to prevent that. And I know that we've talked about in burnout that resiliency is so important as a general toolbox coping mechanism across the board in terms of a, a person. I don't know if a resilient person or resiliency helps prevent maybe the... Because that puts that onus on the person, and that's a... Yeah, I mean, it'd be great if everyone was resilient enough to manage all these things. But, I mean, and as healthcare workers, we do have a good amount of resilience because we got through all this horrible training to get to the point that we then expose ourselves to... COVID and PT and develop PTSD. Um, so it, 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 resilience is great if you have it, I guess. Is it kind of like gas in the fuel tank? It's nice if you have the full tank always and it may buffer and help a little bit, but at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, the tank can always hit empty. Um, Therapy sure can help you with uh, developing ways to manage day-to-day stress, and that can improve resilience for sure. Um, if you're experiencing, I hate saying other mental health issues, like if you're in a funk and you're sad, I mean, um, getting that adequately treated or um, that anxiety issues, getting those adequately treated, that can improve your resilience. So um, we sure can do things to improve our, improve our resilience, um, But prevention is still very difficult to say, do this and you will be, it's not like exercising and your heart will be happier for it. Right. Well, I mean, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) But trying to take care of yourself always helps. Yes. Wise words to pass on to your other colleagues, to your colleagues who are going to hear this and are struggling a little in their lives and not sure what to do and not sure and strong enough knowledgeable enough that they hear you and they go yeah that's probably if I were to self-diagnose yeah I probably got a little bit of that what would you tell them bad things happen if you're feeling awful there's treatment available mental health treatment is all about just feeling better there's there's not really any other goal to it other than just to improve your day-to-day functioning function and functioning and happiness and helping you develop healthier relationships with other people and enjoy life that's what we want for everyone is to enjoy life Marin, thank you i appreciate it thank you for having me If you or someone you care about needs immediate help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. We also have more resources on our website, omahamedical.com, including an online assessment and options to access care for physicians in the region. A Huda Media Production.